Welcome to Murder Most Gruesome. My name's Andrea. And I'm Yvonne. And we're going to be recording a series of podcasts um, on various different things. I think most of them will concentrate on crime, murder mysteries. Yep, solved, unsolved. Yep, uh, spooky. Spooky things, mysteries, maybe disappearances, things like that. Yeah, so hopefully if you enjoy today's podcast, um, you'll listen to some more. And also, what we're going to do, and we'll give out all, all our Instagrams and our emails and our social media follows at the end of this programme, but we would like listeners to write into um, our email address with their own stories. Yep, so um, we're going to start off with a little bit of a spooky story yep. ourselves. So, Yvonne, this was something that happened to you t- uh, recently, so do you want to explain it? It was, yes. Well... I've got a one of those ring doorbell apps and it has the range on it is my drive and it picks up people coming up my drive and onto my property mm-hmm. and it triggered it sent me an alert about midnight. Because you were staying at mine, weren't you? Yeah, I was staying at yours. And at midnight, I get an alert to say there were movement. And I clicked on thinking it would be a cat or something like that. And it's actually um, a, a man, all dressed, you've got a scarf over his face, hood up, gloves, and it was warm weather as well. And he's poking around the front of my... I'd left some, like, things out for the, the take to the tip or the... But, yeah, yeah, just some stuff that needed to be taken away, wasn't it? And he... Anyway, I said, excuse me, over the ring doorbell app, excuse me, what do you think you're doing? And he didn't even jump or... It didn't surprise didn't him. didn't even... Yeah. I'd have jumped to my own. <laughs> I would have done. And he said, oh, um, I'm not stealing anything, love. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> he says there's this rifling through your stuff. Through my things. Practice. Anyway, picks up this fan and says, can I take this fan? And at that point, I mean, what can you do, really? You just want them gone. Yeah, right? wanted them off my property. says, yeah, just take it, just go, just take it. And then we proceeds to have a conversation on what, what was wrong with the fan, why I'd thrown <laughs> it away, what it the fuse, what it the motor. So I... I'm having this conversation with a prowler on my property at midnight over the app. So, and it really actually bothered me afterwards. I, you know, I didn't sleep very well. No, I know. So um, it's creepy somebody being on your property, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that maybe we, we could get our listeners to write in about. Yeah. Um, you know, the prowler stories. Yeah, things yeah. that basically, things that kind of have happened to you. It doesn't have to be kind of like... Um, like people it can be kind of like hauntings because obviously yeah. there's lots of people out there that have experienced um hauntings so Things yeah like paranormally stuff so yeah anything like that we'd really love to hear from you yeah that would be uh, that would be really good if you could do that so today what we're going the podcast that we're going to do which you probably have already seen on the title our first podcast our first podcast will be on michael benham and sam's so, Michael Benjamin Sams, or Sams, was born on the 11th of August, 1941, and he was born in Keithley, um, West Yorkshire, used to be West Ridings, and as far as we can read and research, there's nothing really untoward about his it's upbringing. not much. No. It, it, and we, we did research a little bit, maybe other people can research and get more mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. but what we've actually seen, we couldn't say anything about his childhood, other than the fact that he had a normal childhood, a normal upbringing. 
Yeah, so he is still alive and at 20 year old, he joined the Merchant Navy. Yeah, and I actually didn't know what the Merchant Navy was, so I looked it up for this podcast. I'd heard the phrase, but mm. I wasn't quite sure what it was. And I didn't know. You know, no, and it's actually anybody involved in like the shipping, um, like business, like containers, ferries, anything like. Obviously, we've got the Navy, which is a yeah. a, a force. Yeah, but any money involved in being on ferries anything like that containers anything in a shipping air um commercial shipping area yeah i've heard the term but i didn't realize it was that no so after he left the merchant navy he returned back to his home in keithley back to where he came from and he became a lift engineer and he also and an engineer for central heating and then later he um started his own company which i think this is that, I think that's really creepy that he could, he was in people's houses. You Absolutely. open your door to these people. There's been quite a few times in my life that I've had central heating engineers in and I've been the only person in the house that, you know, a woman on my own in the house with these people. And no, and it, it's spooky, but you, you have to trust yeah. people. But can you imagine if you later found that that person... And, and sometimes, yeah. yes, it's, you know, I suppose if you had a company like... British Gas, I mean, that's where in England that's like a big company uh, for us. Yes, they're all vetted, things like that, but you can't always afford British Gas. I couldn't afford British Gas prices, and it went by recommendation or a one man band or a one man company. But also, like, as much as these companies can vet people, you can't vet everything. You can't, no. if, you can only vet them for what they've been if they've found already to have done, committed a crime. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so anyway, after he, yeah, so he basically established his own company and, but in 1976, when he was about 35 years old, he was put in prison because he'd stolen a car and um, there was some insurance fraud as well around the time and the thing with Sam's is he was really resentful about being put in prison. He got about a 12-month sentence. So, and he, he really kind of like resented the police he thought it was a harsh um he thought it was a harsh sentence didn't like it so while sam's was in prison um he actually developed cancer in his leg and eventually it ended up that he had to have his leg amputated yeah he was really annoyed about that because he blamed the prison service yeah. for not spotting this for not taking a I think proper he complained treatment complained quite a few times hadn't he He'd gone saw yeah. medical advice yeah and um it wasn't treated and he ended up obviously having to have his leg amputated yep yeah, so when he got out of prison um he went and worked for black and decker and he worked for them for a while and then he actually set up his own business selling power tools um in regards to sam's personal life he was married three times the first time he the marriage broke down before he went into prison yeah he had two sons to that woman i think right okay i didn't i wasn't sure Mm -hmm. about that um and then he got married again he divorced um they divorced and then he was married a third time and this was the woman that he was actually with when he was eventually arrested for the late the crimes he committed later on in life which is basically what our podcast is about yes well actually one of his ex-wives actually is pivotal in catching him i mean spoiler alert but she um, she actually recognised his voice on um, on a program called Crime Watch and rang in. Wasn't that his first wife? 
I'm not quite sure which one it was, I actually. I think it was this, yeah. right. So, Sams was arrested and convicted of kidnapping and murdering Julie Dart and Stephanie Slater. He was also convicted of four counts of extortion. Um, yeah, and that was... Against the railway, I think he threatened to... Sent letters threatening to, to derail a train and also to supermarkets, threatening to poison product, products um, unless he got the money. Yeah, so um, basically, um, we'll start with the kidnapping and the murder of Julie Dart. So, and I think it's interesting to note at this point that he was arrested and he was arrested on both counts of Julie Dart and Stephanie Slater, but he didn't actually admit to murdering Julie Dart. He denied it and he denied it and he denied it and he was actually convicted. And a couple of days... After his, admit, Yeah, after, after he was conviction. convicted. After he was, um, like, sentenced and the court found him guilty, he actually um, called in the Chief Superintendent Taylor, who is the lead investigator on the course, on the uh, case, sorry, and he called him in and actually admitted it and he, he did tell the police that he had actually kidnapped and murdered Julie Dart. Yeah, I think, um, and there's documentaries where you can hear, there's a documentary that came out in um, 2022 where you can actually hear excerpts from the interview and it's a very sanitised version. Um, it paints him in the best light, if you will. I mean, as much as admitting to some, murdering someone. Compared with any It is a very, a very uh, sanitised version from uh, Michael Sams. So Julie Dart was kidnapped in Chapel Town, which is in Leeds, um, West Yorkshire. And, and she was... actually, sorry to interrupt, that area 10 years before had been a stomping ground or a hunting area, whatever you want to call it, of Jack... Uh, Yorkshire Ripper. Yorkshire Ripper. So, yeah, it, it was an area, it was a red light area, it was a known red light area, and it was still quite... It was, it's quite a notorious area. Yeah. So, Julie Dart was kidnapped on the 9th of July, 1991, and she was um, she was a sex worker. She hadn't been a sex worker for long. And the reason why um, she won she needed the money, uh, the reason why she went into it, it was because she needed the money. She had debts that she needed to pay off, and she wanted to go into the army. Yeah. And I think it was just basically the only way she could see herself, um, see herself to kind of actually obtain that to achieve that was to build up that money so I she mean was, a mum a mum and a family didn't know no, that's they what didn't she know, was doing I either think, yeah. and on the night that she was kidnapped by Sam's he picked her up and she told him it was her first night and while she was bending down to take off her shoes he slipped her rope round her neck he told her that he to be quiet that he wouldn't hurt her so he just wanted to talk yeah he just wanted to talk and he took her back to his workshop and basically he put her in a coughing like contraption which was more or less um a wheelie, a wheelie bin. bin with uh, concrete blocks on um you know so she was like confined in that really yeah there was there was very little space very little space to maneuver um must have been very uncomfortable and whilst while she was in a box um basically and i think it's important to say at this point 
as well that you hear on interviews her her mum says that she was a fighter she, this yeah. woman was strong never you followed know, orders she was she she was she fought for her life um in regards to she wasn't gonna she was determined she wasn't gonna stay in that box and during the night she did actually get out of the box and she picked up the phone. Because he left her to go home. He was at home oh, sleeping in bed. Yeah, he was he was okay, he was in his nice comfy bed. She she got out, she picked up the phone, and he was actually alerted to that. So he'd obviously had some sort of setup that alerted him if she'd got out of the box, picked up the phone, and basically he returned back to his workshop and, and killed her with a with a I think some blows to the head with a hammer. Yeah. And she, before he killed her, he made her write a letter to her fiancé, basically demanding £140,000 in cash, in ransom. And he basically then wrapped her body in blankets and he drove a distance away and he dumped her in a field. And nine days later, it wasn't until nine days later, that they actually discovered the body. And it was a father and son farmers that discovered the body. So when they did a post-mortem on Julie, um, she was black and blue, so she had a lot of bruising around her body, and they actually discovered that she had been strangled. Um, they did find out later that she'd asked her, she'd asked Sam's to if she could get a wash, and he'd let her out, and he'd let her wash. Was that in the interview that the police did? I believe so. Yeah. Right. So I think he admitted to. This is part uh, of the version. Then, yeah, he admitted to kind of like the version of events and mm -hmm. saying that he'd let her out. Um, in regards to the letter, he'd gotten her to write a letter to the family, so to a mum and to a fiancé, but he'd also called the police. And on this phone call, he'd identified her as a sex worker. Oh, right. Because I think... I don't think her mum or a family or a boyfriend knew she was a sex worker. So when he made that phone call to the police, I think they'd reported her missing. They didn't actually, at first, put two yeah. and two together because, you know, they weren't aware of that family. Until they got the letters and they'd got the phone call and they, they had actually... police started in, you know, yeah, investigating. He was urging... He said to the family, or he got Julie to write to the family to go to the police, mm. and that's when it all kind of fell into place. I think they thought she were working at a laboratory or on, like, a night shift at a lab right, le in okay. Leeds Hospital. Something like that I can, re I can remember reading at the time. Right. So, I think also... It's important to say at this point that despite the writing letters and the request for the um, for the ransom, that they hadn't that he had no intention. He said later that he had absolutely no intention whatsoever of letting Julie go. And by the time that the family had got the letters and that they'd got the ransom, that she was already dead. But in regards to the ransom, what was what the police found strange was that he'd actually asked the police for the ransom rather than the actual family. family. So often in kidnapping cases yeah. and blackmail cases, extortion, they actually asked the family to put the money together. Yeah. But in this case, they'd asked the police to come up with the £140,000 yeah. ransom, which kind of started the police thinking that it was quite personal, that it was targeted to the police. Which makes... He is... When he was convicted of this... Um, he has actually, he did try and extort money from British Rail, from um, a major supermarket chain. Yeah. So it was part of his MO, MO that, yeah, 
from from big businesses or yeah. big comp- uh, you know organizations like the police yeah mm. so when it came to the dropping off of the money they sent a wpc and the wpc was responsible for can i just say wpc i don't know if people are aware but wpc stands for well uh, woman police officer it used to be like a term it's not anymore all police officers are called police uh, police officers are police constable or the rank but um yeah we're talking 30 years ago so wpc woman police officer yeah so they asked they instructed um he instructed a wpc to drop the money off at a railway station in um, Birmingham. Yeah, Birmingham. Yeah. And told her to go to Birmingham uh, railway station to wait in the waiting room. So the female officer, I'm not going to call her WPC, but the female officer went into the waiting room and while she was in there, the phone actually started to ring. And when she picked it up, it was actually a pre-recorded message. And she didn't understand the instructions. So this pre-recorded message was giving mm. her instructions of where to go next. And she didn't she didn't understand it. She couldn't make sense of it. And she asked if he could play it again or to say it again. And he must not have heard her for whatever, you mm. know, must not have heard her, ignored her, don't know the reasoning. And he hung up. Right. So she wasn't aware of what to do the next stage then? No. Right. So... After they found Julie Dart and what Sam's continued to do was send ransom notes to the police and it was starting to become um, a cat and mouse game basically. So he kept contacting the police and sending them all over the country and basically what he was saying is, I'm not going to stop. Um, he said that it didn't matter how many bodies built up, that he was going to keep on going until he got the money right. as he described it. and basically saying you know now what i'm capable of right okay i mean the police took it quite it well very seriously um new details about and put the details in the letters that uh even the family didn't know and the general public certainly didn't know so they did <clears throat> realize that he was it was the man who'd murdered julie Dart that what they were communicating with and they actually had a second ransom run because he said he would hurt you know he would hurt the you know people and do things to people so they they were worried about him and actually one of the phone boxes he did a lot of sending to this phone box and go to that phone box and one of the phone boxes was in in Wakefield and they were two quite close together and the female officer went to one and somebody else that was with her another police officer went to the other and it was the other that rang so she had to quickly run round and answer and 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 be there to answer that phone yep and actually, on a personal note, that phone box, and it's no longer there, it was very near to the house I live in, that actual phone yeah, box. Yeah, really close, wasn't it? It is, yeah, well, it was. It was, yeah. And when the phone rang, she actually tried to pick it up, and there was something wrong with the receiver. The It stuck in the, like, when she picked it up, it didn't, like, open up the call. Right. So couldn't connect the call. It stuck in the down position. So she wasn't able to, like, receive the next set of, the next set of instructions. So did that stop it then? Yeah, there was nothing to do. He didn't ring right. back um, or he didn't try again. Or Even if he did, she wouldn't have been able to answer it. No. However, 
they didn't find these at the time, but they went back to the phone box um, later on. I don't know that it was the next day. And there were actually a set of instructions um, hidden under the ledge right. of what to do next. But, you know, they'd missed this um, at the time. So throughout all of this correspondence with the police, what they actually started to do was recognise Sam's as letters. So what they eventually did was they contacted Royal Mail which is what we call the postal service in the UK and they basically gave them instructions and they made a little bit of history didn't they yeah so they made history and got Royal Mail to actually identify and I think they went into the uh, post postal you know the Royal Mail and and find like these letters because they had a way of writing that they could identify yeah so and they managed to like get these letters before they kind of went into the postal system so yeah, that they so, saved them mm. them days so that they could get the letters basically before they would have done had they have gone yeah, to the actual save themselves a couple of days maybe yeah, yeah. give themselves a head start so about four well a few months later in Birmingham there was a well it was, there was a state agent called I think it was called Shipley's estate agent and uh, Sam's actually made an appointment to view a house yeah. and he, he'd really researched this house it it got a drive that went down onto this farm track that then he could access he could drive along this track and be away and um, Stephanie Slater state agent I think she was about 25 years old um, actually went to show the house to him and she goes and starts showing him this house and I think he was in the bathroom and he says oh what's this and she goes in to see what he's, he's talking about I think he's pointing to something in the bath and he smashes it, well, bangs her head against the tiles and uh, she hits her head. I think she's bleeding. She does leave some blood in the bathroom. Um, and then he actually blindfolds her, takes her down the stairs into into his car, down this track and he's off, he's away. And he actually, he takes her to the workshop again. He's just put in the same kind of wheelie bin contraption that Julie Dart was put into. He tells her that there's bare wires everywhere. If she escapes, she'll be electrocuted. Uh, I think he he does actually restrain her a bit more than Julie learns from the fact that because Julie got away, he he, he does more restraint, but he's a bit more careful there in that way. And, I mean, she's absolutely terrified and later on when the interviewer because she does get away she does she does he does release her um she said she actually uh, tried to make herself more human to him yeah by talking about herself um trying to you know make herself a person and if you look at and if you listen to any kind of recordings or any like interviews with stephanie mm. she says that when when she like made him laugh oh i've made him laugh he won't kill me now yeah oh i've made him smile oh he's talking back to me he won't kill me now and it was you know it was a strategy wasn't it she yeah use that as a strategy to hopefully save really. the life yeah well, yeah. She, yeah it worked so Meanwhile, her colleagues are getting really concerned that she's not back. Um, it's been a couple of hours. And he actually, during, he's driving her 70 miles away to his workshop, the same workshop he kept Julie Dart in. Yeah, which was in Newark. Newark, yeah. Swan and Salmon Yard, I think it was. And he makes a record of the ransom demand, um, giving instructions, saying what the name and like... Um, was that on the journey? That were on the journey, I think he pulls yeah. up into LA by and makes her do it. 
And then he rings her boss at the estate agent, Kevin Watts, uh, the manager, and tells him that he's kidnapped her and, you know, hangs up. He rings, I think he rings his boss, and his boss is like, well, t- you know, you need to ring the police. This is bigger than us. Uh, ring the police. Make sure that, you know, you, ma- you tell them in case he's watching the house, he's watching the estate agents, tell them to keep it on the down low, which I don't think they do. They um, send police round to the house, send police round to the um, estate agents and when the police go into the house um, they find there's the confined signs of a struggle because yeah. I think there had been a struggle she did fight for yeah <laughs> she did really fight him I think they do um, a recording with her don't they she tells yeah, the story yeah and from the sounds of it she really put up a fight yeah she does she in a later documentary she describes like how how she fights for her life he's got a knife he's got a um a chisel um and she actually he cuts the hand as well and i think they find this blood find signs of a struggle the door back door's open her car's still there she isn't obviously she's 70 miles away by this point and they realize that you know, it is true. They've got this. The you know, she has actually been kidnapped. So back in in the workshop, um, Stephanie makes her undress, um, tells her, threatens her with Susie Lamplu, who was a, a, an estate agent yeah. who disappeared, never found a body. Similar circumstances, actually. And I think they they've never linked him with it. But I think they did actually look at whether he'd done he'd done the Susie Lamplu as well. Oh, but right. they never kind. I don't think it ever panned and uh, he actually rapes her tells her to you know undresses her tells her you know rapes her and she and I know I'm jumping about a bit she actually when when she when he releases her and the police interview her she doesn't say about the rape she she denies that he's actually yeah that to her doesn't because she doesn't want her mum to know her mum's got a heart condition she doesn't want her mum to know and it does eventually come out and her mum dies not long after it so it, it that part's really really sad and the police they they kind of take over a little police station they have officers down from west yorkshire which is the area that julie dark came down from so i think they linked those pretty quickly yeah and they actually i mean the call for a media blackout says the media blackout because they don't want to upset or stress out the kidnapper and they realize that this is the same man that's been sending ransom notes extorting they go into the post office um they because he sends this this tells the boss when he, he rings him he's going to send him this parcel with a tape in the tape that is recorded of them making the ransom demand and they actually find they get this tape they go in don't they go right and they look through get the, it they find it office. yeah and they play the tape and with all its instructions on. So the police actually quite quickly, re- you know, work out what's happened and then they know who it is. Now, Sam's then makes one of his first mistakes because the police, when they, when this all starts, they actually tap the line, you know, put a recording device on the estate agent's telephone lines and Sam rings up in his own voice asking basically where's my money had he previously disguised his voice um maybe recordings yeah done recordings and obviously the first time he rang they were unaware of this they wouldn't be taping the calls i suppose but they tapped the line um he has asked for a hundred and seventy thousand pounds so you get they get a recording of his voice which actually 
proves to that's one of the mistakes he makes and it actually helps catch him later on um so he asks for her boss to do this ransom job not a police officer her boss at the estate agents kevin watts and he actually agrees to do this very brave you know it is very brave and he's you know he was told to go to the glossip train station near manchester and go to a phone box so on the night that that they do the ransom drop um you know it's actually the police the police do send him out i think he's got police trailing him i think there's about a thousand police officers on the road at that time and what they didn't want as well um is the press also being on the road because at this by this point the press knew um i remember as a when i was a kid um, watching this case on TV and Stephanie Slater going missing and it was mm, obviously as it would be it was major news so they didn't want the police uh, sorry the press on the roads at this Bumping time around. so what they said was that they kept the they said that they would kept, keep them informed but they kept the um, the press in a central place in a room and they said that they'd update them throughout the night Right, okay. So so Kevin Watts goes off. Um, it, you know, it's a lot of go to this phone box, go to that phone box. He's driving around. Um, when he'd done the ransom demand, when he'd wrote, done the letter, done the tape, he'd actually instructed, instructed them to actually have a bag with certain dimensions. The reason for that, we'll, we'll come, we'll t- I'll talk about in a bit. Um and he has to do a lot of Kevin Watts had to be here for this time, here for that time, which it's it's quite when you're driving around. Oh God, we all hit traffic. Mm, that yeah, unexpected roadworks traffic. So he ends up going down this old farm track, and the um, the police that are following him just cannot follow him. It's in the middle of nowhere. Can't follow him without it being really obvious if the if the kidnappers watching. So they actually try and follow on foot. Up, but very quickly yeah it's a dark and foggy yeah night, very quickly lose lose kevin watts and eventually down this farm track comes to a cone and there's some instructions taped to it and the instructions basically tell him stop here do not stop for longer than a minute put bag on the tray and then drive off which kevin watts does he drives off and what he doesn't know at the time kevin watts is that he's actually on a bridge when he stops right. and the the side of the wall the side of the bridge and actually Michael Sams is waiting underneath some fishing line connecting the tray and that's why the bag had to be a certain dimension to fit in the tray, to fit in the tray. yeah and he just pulls a fishing line the bag the tray falls down with the bag on top of it picks the bag up gets on his moped down a, down the um another I suppose track underneath on his moped goes and uh, gets in the car and uh, drives off. So at this point, they've got no Stephanie Slater, no money, nothing. Yeah, that's it, nothing. So, and then, surprisingly, in a matter of hours, Michael Sands actually drops Stephanie Slater off outside, uh, well, round the corner from her house. And unfortunately for him, and fortunately for the for the police, he stops under a street light and someone, um, a man looks out of his window to see why someone stopped. And this man is, um, he, he's a car sprayer by trade. And he's actually able to recognise not only the make model of the car, but the actual 
particular colour. He knows, obviously, he knows, knows his, his car colours. So she gets out of the car. He, he, the man watching actually thinks she's just a bit drunk. She stumbles round and banging on her door. Her parents open the door and, you know, there's Stephanie. Um, and I think she's wanting to hug her mum and dad and mum and dad are wanting to hug her and the, and the police officers that have been staying with her mum and dad them, yeah. um, are, you know, don't... You know, there could be you know evidence try not to hug each other which is awful really when you yeah and she said she you know she really struggled like separating stephanie from her parents because that's all as as you would imagine having gone through that that's all you'd want to do isn't it yeah you go into your mum's arms yeah especially and and also especially if you thought you never see your daughter again chance to hold your daughter so the next day they go out they start obviously talking to neighbours seeing you know because they realise she she was dropped off nearby talking to neighbours seeing if they've seen something or heard something and they start talking to this this man the spray painter and he actually gives a really good uh, description and the, they have him up to the police station obviously he tells them about what car what colour didn't they sorry sorry to interrupt but didn't they didn't he also give a really good um description of what yeah like. yeah so they take him to the police station he does this composite sketch and actually you can see it online and we might actually we could post that on our yeah, yeah. you know instagram we'll give details of our social medias um at the end of this but they actually um and it's a really good sketch it's, of him it's spookily good it's yeah and also that bloke for how i'm really bad at like faces but he just, yeah. he was amazing. He does look me. like him. And just to go back, I mean, her parents, they didn't actually tell her about the Julie. They knew he was, um, Michael Sams had killed Julie Dart and that was the person that had Stephanie. But her parents weren't aware of that. Right, okay. Uh, until after. Um, they kept that. that. Yeah, they kept that, uh, that, kept that separate, kept that to themselves. Anyway, so a few days later, after she gets home, um, there was a programme called... Well, we have a programme in England, or we used to. It stopped now, and it was a really good programme. And it's called Crime Watch. I think there's there's similar in in other countries. Dateline, maybe, in America? Yeah. And and they have crimes on there. They do reenactments, if there's any evidence, or things like that. They play it on there. So they actually... They did actually feature the Stephanie... uh, Slater um, kidnapping and they used it as a way to kind of like get the public mm-hmm. and like get the public to ring in do you yeah. recognise this did you see anything yeah and um, 12 million people watched that episode that night with the reenactment and they had the lady's voice from the tape from the estate agents yeah. they had a picture of a car that he would be you know that he was driving and his first ex-wife Susan Oakes is watching and she rec- you know she's there she thinks well that you know it sounds like my ex-husband looks like him so she rings the police and she says well this looks really looks like my ex-husband Michael Sams it sounds like him he's obsessed with the railway so that fits but the only thing I can't understand and what you haven't mentioned is he only has one leg and you're talking about him clambering onto mopeds and driving down country country roads um but you know he lost his leg so following on from the crime watch program um they obviously had michael sam's name also a neighbor of michael sam's rang up and said i think this is this i think the person that you're talking about is michael sam's he's my neighbor now in the debrief when they debriefed stephanie slater and she went through the account of her kidnapping what she actually said was she 
she paid a lot of attention on the journey from when Sam's uh, kidnapped her and when he took her to a workshop. And she remembered and she told the police that they turned right, they'd gone down, uh, down a steep driveway, they'd got to the bottom, he'd got her out the car, he'd pulled the door open, it was this big metal... Slided, yeah. Yeah, sliding heavy door. She'd gone through, it was cobbled underneath. She described a telephone in the workshop, the radio station that was playing... And then uh, when the police turned up, so the police then, the police decided they'd go pay a visit to Michael Sams. The first went to his house. Yeah. And his wife said, well, he's not here, he's at work. So they go, where's that? So she sends him over to the workshop. They get to the workshop. They go down a steep decline. They get to the bottom. They open some heavy metal doors. They go through its cobbled floor. And every step of this journey is like tick. Went downhill, tick, heavy sliding door, tick, radio station and telephone. And Michael Sam steps out. Uh, well, he says, you know, I've been expecting you. Um, so I think he'd obviously watched the Crime Watch programme, realised that he'd made these mistakes and got these details on him. Uh, they arrest him there and then. Um, he's taken, he's charged with um, Julie Dart's kidnap and murder. He's charged with the kidnapper Stephanie Slater. He's charged with extorting money from British Rail, from the um, supermarket. And he, he, you know, goes to court, you know, if he's found guilty. Um, he denies the Julie Dart, but they find him guilty um, and he gets four life terms. And he doesn't just go to prison and accept his fate. He just whines and carries on and makes um, as much of a nuisance of himself as he can in prison. He whines his bed's too hard, his prison mattress is too hard. He, he The prison service loses his leg while they're transporting him somewhere. So he actually sues them and actually wins, like, £4,000 in damages, wow. which, you know, the public were mad about. He gets there's his 4000 You know, there's uproar about it. And... No, he can, in prison, he still continued to offend. So in February 1997, um, he was on trial at Durham County Court and for attacking a female probation officer with a metal spike. I think he'd held a hostage as well before. Had it, before right, yeah. okay. So, yeah, and he got an additional... I mean, to his sentence, he got an additional eight years onto his sentence for that. Mm. And he is still in prison. Yeah. Um, he tried... His last parole uh, was in March, March-April time, 2023, which, thankfully, it was denied. Well done, parole mm-hmm. board. He's 81 by this point. Yeah, and, and they still consider him dangerous. He's tried to get reduced from Category A... Um, I mean, that's your first step towards being released, isn't it? Going down your categories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Cat A is the most serious. I don't know, like, if people, you know, obviously people were listening from the from the UK. I don't know whether it's different in other prisons yeah. around the world, but yeah, Cat A is a serious prisoners. And they have to work the way down yeah. before they can get paroled and released. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, the prison service are that we still consider Michael Sams to be dangerous mm-hmm. still consider him to be a risk to the public so hopefully that man will uh, die in jail die in prison because and so he should Stephanie Slater after all this happened she actually moved to the Isle of Wight because it was where she'd holidayed as a child the parents she loved it there it was surrounded by water she felt safe there and lived there until she died and she actually died quite um at quite a young age she died of cancer um 
you know, when she was about 50 year old in 2017. And I'd not realised that until we no. researched this. I'd not realised she'd actually passed away. And, and throughout her the rest of her life, before her death, she'd actually worked with police um, to, you know, guide them and, and to advise them on dealing with kidnapped victims, dealing with women who were victims of crime. Right. Um, she wrote a book and I'll put the links in to the page notes afterwards. Um, you know, you can buy a book. It's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a really interesting book. There's interviews she does, there's some on YouTube. YouTube, and they're very interesting to yeah, hear the story from her point of view. So, and then Julie Dart's poor mum, she died at 51, uh, which is a very young age very to young. die. So, you know, his victims, they didn't stop at, at Julie and, and, like, and Stephanie, you know, it did have, um, you know, long-reaching effects, really, the violence that, you know, he committed during his time. Yeah. So, okay, so as we mentioned, this is just, we're just near the end now. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we would love to hear your stories, the prowler stories, the spooky stories. And if you could email them to our uh, email address, and Andrea's got that. So our email address is murdermostgruesomepodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, All one word, yeah. Murdermostgruesome, no full stops, murdermostgruesomepodcast at gmail. Com. Brilliant. So email those and we're going to read some of those out. So, you know, and, and also if you want us to mention your name or not mention your name, just let us know in that email. Yep. And you can also see our Facebook, which is Murder Most Gruesome, Instagram, Murder Most Gruesome. So please feel free to rate, review, subscribe. Because that really helps. Yeah. You hear it all the time, don't you? But it's true, it helps. It helps us get out there, helps and, and help build our community. Yeah, because we'd love to continue doing this. Okay. So um, all that remains is for us to thank you for listening. Thank so. you so much. Thank you very, very much. And goodbye. Bye-bye.